1: Save time and money versus going to a shop by picking up an AC Pro Recharge Kit today. Be a pro with AC Pro. This week on Into the Archives with the Boone Podcast, I sit down with a buddy of mine. Uh, My time in Cincinnati in the mid-90s, I got to know him pretty good. Uh, Bengals legend, 11-time Pro Bowler, Hall of Famer, great guy,
0: Anthony Munoz sometimes you just need to enjoy a classic join us as we go into the archives we going back and put our ear to the history books with this one this is into the archives here's your host brett Boone.
1: anthony thanks for coming on the program
2: hey brett thanks for having me how's everything going
1: it's going well and it was great catching up with you a few weeks ago uh you know we go way back to our cincinnati days i know you're still back there yeah um I got a good one for you out of the chute. Can a referee, could a referee, call holding on every play if he really wanted
2: to? Uh, I'm not going to go that. Come on, Booney Man. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it, it's it's close. It's close. But you know, the way I look at it, I tell those defensive linemen that always claim, you hold on every play. You know what I say? I said, if you're going to give me your chest and not get my hands off your chest, you think I'm going to turn down charity? <laughs>
1: right. I, I couldn't imagine. I mean, for a guy that's never lined up as an offensive lineman by what I, I said, these guys banging heads, 350 pounds. How could you not? I mean, how can yeah. you have a perfect, you know, that that's just it's kind of those unwritten rules. It, it's in every sport in baseball. Yeah. Well, until recently, baseball, you know, much to my chagrin when they started making these rule changes, it's like, you got to slide into the bag. You have to physically put the tag for years and years. Right. I I used to teach the tag to these young players and I'd say, you get it in, you get it out, you show the umpire, you sell it and you go off the field. Like it's out number three. And that's what it was. And you didn't get injured because you didn't catch a spike. Nowadays. I, I think they're, they're, you know, their objective, their idea in the game of baseball is to make it safer. Well, if you physically make me put a tag on somebody else, that's going to make it more dangerous.
2: You know what? And you you have a great point there. I watch a baseball game and you watch the catcher frame the pitch. And it's like, OK, if you can't just bring the ball down, tag and come up. Why can't you know why do they allow the catcher to Bring it inside, you know, and stuff like that. So I don't know. It's you know, with football, it's the same way. Um, you know, I got some grandkids and, and one of my grandkids, a couple of them were playing and uh, yesterday uh, they said, Poppy, I got a question for you. They're 12, 11, 12 years old. He goes, if I'm playing defense, how do I get the offensive lineman's hands off my chest and grabbing my shoulder pads? I said, when I get home, I'm going to show you. But it's, you know, we used to talk about quickest hands into the chest wins you got to either knock his hands out or you've got to get them and because your arms are longer you extend and grab him in the chest and you push him away and he's like that makes sense but yeah i mean it's all about uh, now you know that arm and hand combat who can you know who can clamp who first and you go from there and as long as you don't continue to hold them when the ball carries is coming by then you know i guess if you're not impeding his progress to the ball then they don't call holding i guess All right. Uh, Grew up in
1: Ontario, California. Anthony Munoz as a kid. What were you like as a little kid? Or uh, what what were you like as a big kid?
2: (laughs) Well, here's the thing. You know, it's amazing. I'm talking to you, Booney, and you know, you're a baseball player. I started playing baseball when I was like six, seven years old. Uh, I have two older. I had two older brothers, two years older than me, eight years older than me. And, And that's where my gift was. I wanted to be a pro baseball player. So at the age of six, seven, I started playing parks and recreation, and, you know, during the, the school year, whatever sport was in season, we played. But in the summer, you know, growing up in Southern California, man, we would try and get as many games in as possible. We'd get in as many parks. Uh, and that was my childhood. A lot of baseball played. And then, of course, you know, I got to high school. I played three years of varsity baseball. And even when I started getting recruited, uh, what I did as a kid in Ontario, California, was kind of that, you know, trying to accomplish that dream. But I kept growing and uh, went in the other direction. But that's what I did as a kid. A lot of relatives. My mom was one of 10, so I had a lot of cousins around, and we we grew up a lot in the same neighborhood, so we played a lot of baseball together. I had some close friends other than relatives that we used to hang out with, but uh, really, I was consumed, really, with baseball. That was my thing. I was a big baseball fan, watched baseball, knew all the baseball players, uh, so yeah, that's what I did as a kid in Southern California.
1: And of course, everybody knows Anthony Munoz as as the great football player. But as I was doing my prep work and and behind the scenes stuff before this interview, it was fascinating to me because not only do we have Cincinnati in common, we have USC, which we'll get to in a second. And I had no idea that you pitched all the way through college. Not only that, you pitched on a college, uh, college national championship team. Um, you you mentioned growing up and baseball was a passion of yours. Did you find when you were in high school, was baseball your number one? Was that where you were going? Football was secondary.
2: It was, you know, I wanted to get to high school and all I thought about was starting on the varsity, starting on the varsity football. I hadn't played tackle football until my freshman year of high school. I was a, a product of flag football because the strength was my arm. I was a third baseman pitcher. I played quarterback from eight years old through eighth grade on, in flag football. So when I got to high school, still focused baseball. Then I started playing a little football. And I, it was funny. I was going to be a quarterback. So I walked out first day in pads and I ran over with the quarterbacks so were. And the coach looked up at me and said, what are you doing here? I said, I'm going to be your quarterback. He goes, no, nah, I don't think so. You're not a quarterback. I said, that's all I've played. He said, no, you got to go back in and see Henry. Well, Henry was our equipment manager. He had to change my helmet or my face mask out. I had a two-bar face mask when I ran out. When I finished that first day of practice, I had a face, a full cage. They would moved me to offensive line. I said, oh, what the heck, I'll play football, but I'm really focusing on baseball. And I was actually uh, – I started third base for three years. I was All-State three years in baseball, a sophomore, junior, and senior year, and All-State twice. I didn't play varsity and football until my junior year in high school. Uh, but, you know, still at that, baseball, but then I started to be – I started to get all the recruiting letters, and people when my when I was six five two seventy five as a junior in high school, then all the football letters started to come. And but as you know, USC had a track record of letting guys if they went there on the football scholarship and they were good enough to play baseball. And I guess they thought I was good enough. So Rod Dado said, "Hey, you come here on a football scholarship. We'll let you play baseball." And that's how I got a chance to play a little baseball at USC accepted a scholarship there to play football and uh, played some baseball.
1: So that was your decision. I mean, it comes down to why was it SC? You know, everybody knows you went to SC. I went to SC. My story was quite different on the SC thing. I thought that was the last place I was going. And it was kind of a late decision by me to to go to Southern Cal. Um, You mentioned they'd let you play baseball. Was that pretty much the the basis of your decision to go to USC was the fact that, no, they're going to let me come play baseball? Plus, at the time when you were going to college, SC, there wasn't a better baseball program in the country. You know, that was kind of – that was the heyday of of USC.
2: You're right. I mean, uh, first of all, I mean, they won a national – I think national champion in 70, 71, 72, 73. I mean, it was like before I got there in 76, they had won like four or five in five or six years. I mean, they were on the roll – um, you know, it was I, – I can't honestly say that I wouldn't have gone there if they wouldn't have let me play baseball because my childhood dream, growing up that close to the campus, always wanted to go there. I think once they offered me, and it was early on, they pretty much locked me in. And the fact – it was just kind of icing on the cake that they said, okay, you can play baseball. A lot of people used that as they started to recruit me and saw that I was really interested in USC. They started that, you know, hey, you can play baseball. But, you know, really – there was no place in the seventies, a combination football, baseball, like USC. And once they offered me, it was like, I'm there. And then uh, they said I could play a little baseball. So, I mean, that, that solidified it. Uh, But I still, you know, again, a lot of people think that I had this, uh, you know, decorated college career. I only played one healthy season in football I only played one year of baseball because I had three knee operations in four years, but Booney, the one year I played baseball, we ended up going to the world series and winning it. So it was a uh, pretty cool one year and out. I got me a ring that same year. We won a ring in football. So, uh, you know, it was, uh, it wasn't as decorated as I would have loved it to be, but I would not trade that experience for anything.
1: Yeah. SC, we just had Freddie Lynn on, uh, Oh, wow. The podcast. And you were talking about those 71, 72, 73. Uh, he was talking about it. And he said, yeah, Brad, I, I went to college. We won three college World Series. And then the, in 75, he goes, the next thing you know, I'm, I'm facing the Reds in the World Series. And I'm just <laughs> thinking at that point, well, this is what I do. I just win everywhere I go. They uh, ended up getting beat by the big red machine that year, mm-hmm. but obviously a historic uh, World Series. Okay. You get to SC. Now, the football side, you won three rows. I think you had four bowl wins in your time at SC. -hmm. You won three Rose Bowls. You're playing for John Robinson on the football side. You got Rod Dato. And... I'm always interested in guys that played for Dato. I got there a little right as he retired. I think I came in oh, the, wow. next, the next year or two years later. I had Mike Gillespie, uh, but Rod was a, around the ballpark. You know, he'd come down to the field. I, I'd see him at a uh, speaking engagement or, or when we had our opening to the baseball season, he'd be the, get, the keynote speaker. He was always he was an entertainer. He was, he was, he was kind of the Tommy Lasorda of college baseball. Always funny, always uh, had something quick to say. I mean, he was just one of those guys. He had a gift for gab, but I never got to play for him. Obviously he called everybody tiger. What do you, (laughs) what do you remember on the baseball side with Rod Dato?
2: Let me, I have to share a couple quick stories, uh, Brett. I need this. So I came into USC on my recruiting weekend trip, got there Friday, Saturday morning, I'm sitting on the bench at Dado Field with Seaver, Kingman, Dauer, Freddie Lynn. There's a USC alumni baseball game, and I'm sitting on the bench on my football recruiting trip. So that started the weekend pretty good. Saturday night with football guys. Sunday, I'm sitting on the bench with the USC varsity team at Dodger Stadium as they're playing the Dodgers in an exhibition game before they go to Vero Beach. So that's my football recruiting trip. I'm, I'm hanging out with the USC alumni baseball. I'm hanging out with the, the baseball players and the Dodgers. Uh, and then Dado, wow. See, I'm so old. That's when the coaches could come to your house and sign your letter of intent. You know, now I think you got to fax it in or scan it in, or I don't think the coaches can actually come to your house. So the morning I was going to sign my letter of intent, this big cardinal colored Cadillac pulls up to my front door and it's John Robinson and Rod Dato coming to my house to sign. And that's the first, I mean, I'm thinking, this is amazing. I'm going there on a football scholarship and the head baseball coach is coming to my house. So I was like really impressed. I signed the letter. They gave me a ride to school. You know, both of them, I mean, you know, Robinson's driving, I'm riding passengers, Rod (laughs) Dato sitting in the back seat. (laughs) So, But, you know, both coaches, the fact that I had a chance to play for both John Robinson and Rod Dato were amazing. I tell you what, people said, well, you're going to go to USC. You're going to play football, Rod. That's great. They said, so you're going to play baseball? They said, you know, Rod Dato's never there. He shows up for the game and, you know, he coaches game day. But other than that, you won't see him during the week. That was the furthest from the truth. The guy was just an encyclopedia of baseball knowledge. I mean, I was a pitcher. So I'm, you know, I'm tracking pitches game and you could not relax during the game. And he's walking up and down the bench and, you know, asking you questions. You had to be on your toes. And so it was a great experience with Rod Dato playing that one year. You know, after I I left and I'm in the NFL, and even after I retired, you would have thought I was a four-year starter for Rod Dato at USC on the baseball team, the way he treated everybody. And you're right, everybody was Tiger. And uh, so, I mean, that to me was a highlight of my, you know, college career of my life is getting a chance to play for on data on the baseball team. And uh, yeah, the fact that you had a chance to be around him, he was, he was an entertainer, uh, but he was, he was a great baseball mind. The thing I learned right away is that uh, he knew the game. And uh, one of the last times I saw him before he passed, you mentioned uh, he was kind of kind of the Tommy Lasorda, as you know, him and Lasorda were tight. And, yeah. uh, and one of the last time I saw him is uh, him and uh, well, sort of, we together. Actually, at the Orange Bowl, when USC was playing Oklahoma in the national championship game, they were there together, and I had a chance to kind of hang with them a little bit the night before the game. Uh, but yeah, Rod Dado was amazing. It was amazing. Uh, of course, you missed you missed the tradition of wearing the the the, the blonde or the white wig on the road uh, with Rod Dado. Uh, I'm sure you heard about that. I heard about
1: it. Yeah, but I missed it. I missed
2: it. Well, he waited, he waited for me. He had a 285 pound freshman baseball player that had his sport coat turned inside out, had the gray wig with shades in a wheelchair. As we arrived in Omaha, Nebraska, I got the wig at the college world series. I mean, it was, wow. uh, and it was, it was amazing. Cause it was tradition. You just dealt with it, but, uh, you got some funny looks, and, uh, especially being uh, one of the bigger guys around, uh, you know, the college world series, uh, but yeah, Rod Dado is an amazing man, amazing coach, and I'm like I said, I'm thankful I had a chance to play for him. I'm always
1: interested in the guys that that played two sports in college. Uh- my college years i was coming in. when i was a freshman rodney pete uh was on his way out but you know how it is at, at usc the football is is the big thing in town the baseball mm-hmm. at, at the time for you was a little bigger but in my day yeah usc group baseball is great uh right. we, we were still the kind of the that pack that pack six we call it on the baseball side it was kind, right. of the, kind of the class of the of the country in the 80s but when you go to usc it's all about usc football Rodney would come over and I remember as a freshman, Anthony, I'd I'd go, you know, I'm just this freshman baseball player Uh at USC and you're walking on campus and everything is football. And there's Rodney Pete. And he's at the time is the star and they're winning the (laughs) Rose Bowl. And I'm thinking that guy's my third baseman. Sure enough, he comes out right before the season and uh, he was our third baseman. He's, you know, I was thinking he's probably got a cannon, right? No. Rodney Pete's throwing spirals to me. I'm turning double plays. Rodney Pete's throwing the ball, and it has a football rotation to it. It blew wow. me away. I'll tell you, he could. And I talked to Rodney, and I, he's actually been on the been on the podcast. Uh huh. And I said, Rodney, you know, just playing with you up close. I mean, he he essentially he showed up like the week before the season starts. No prep, no winter ball, no nothing. Oh wow! And he was a really good player. And he would have been a first round pick, but he said, Brett, my passion was football. I liked, I really liked baseball, but my passion was football. Rodney Pete, I think was good enough, especially on the hitting side uh, to be a big leaguer. So it was interesting to me. Uh, You were there, you're a baseball player, football player. Who'd you hang out with? Who were your group of friends?
2: Well, you know, we had, uh, and it's still kind of this way. Uh, You know, I spent the last three days in Santa Barbara with uh, three other couples, my wife and I, and they're all, former offensive lineman that I played with at USC. We met each other our freshman year in college. That's like 45 years ago. Uh, So, you know, we had a group of offensive linemen that we just kind of hung with. And, uh, you know, but it's funny because after the fact, now now after I've retired, still connected with those guys, I still got a couple guys that I played baseball with there at USC that we stay in a lot of contact. So, uh, you know, we, we text, we email, we see each other. But when I was in college, it was mainly all the offensive linemen, so we kind of hung together, and uh, you know everybody wanted to be around the quarterback and the you know the skill guys. So we just kind of would hang out by ourselves, and uh, nobody would notice us, but you know, we would notice each other. So <laughs> that's who I hung out with for uh, you know offensive linemen. You
1: kind of had the best of both, though. You're winning college world series. You're winning Rose Bowls. Uh, you're blocking for Ricky Bell, <laughs> Allen. Yeah. I think Allen was young when you were when you were leaving. Charles yeah. White. Charles White was got the majority of the reps during your time correct
2: yeah so my freshman year Ricky Bell was the the tailback and then I came in with Charles White so for three years he was our starting tailback but my junior and senior year Marcus was our starting fullback imagine that yeah so um, you know we we won three Rose Bowls we won a national championship in 78 in football and 78 in baseball so I got I got to experience one of each but uh, three Rose Bowls, then we played in the Blue Bonnet Bowl in Houston, my sophomore year. I kind of make a joke because you know, you're talking and I said, Yeah, my sophomore year, we had a terrible year. We finished nine and three. And people are like, Nine and three? That's not terrible. I said, Yeah, you know, when you when you lose two games in three years, it, that's pretty bad, you know. And uh, but, uh, yeah, so we had – I mean, I played with Ronnie Lott and Marcus Allen and Clay Matthews, you know, the, the dad and Bruce Matthews and Joey Browner and you know, Keith Van. I mean, it's, I figured, Brett, my senior year, the 79 team, all guys on the roster, we have four Pro Football Hall of Famers. I think we have 15 number one or 15 first-round draft picks in the NFL from that 79 team. It's, um, there were some amazing players on that team. Wow.
1: Your senior year, yeah, torn, torn knee ligaments or yeah, torn yep. l- knee ligaments. And you had the option. I, I think you had the option. You could take that red shirt season if you want for medical yep. and come yep. back. You didn't want to do that. You want to get ready for that Rose bowl. And and I think uh, one of your coaches said it was, it was the greatest game he's ever seen. Take me through that senior year and what your mindset is that time you're coming off 78, uh, 78 winning the College World Series on the baseball side. Now you're getting ready for that pro football uh, that the NFL draft. And tell me what's going through your mind that senior year and getting ready for that Rose Bowl and eventually the, the draft.
2: You know, it's amazing because that senior, that junior year, I got hurt seven games in the season. That was my second me, and third three years. Uh, and then so I rehabbed. Going into my senior year, probably in the best shape I'd ever been in. There was me and a couple other linemen. That was back in the day when you worked in the summer. We'd get home from work, and we'd go lift and run. And I mean, we were just busting it because we're coming off a national championship. We're loaded again. So this time, it wasn't seven, eight games in the season. It was the second time we had the ball, the first game of the season, in Lubbock, Texas, I'm laying on the turf. A defensive back stuck his helmet into my left knee as I was jumping over a, a pile of, of players, and I knew exactly. Flying back to L.A., I'm you know going through my third knee operation. So I'm I'm done not only for the Rose Bowl, Notre Dame, UCLA, but I'm done for the whole season. And I'm like, there's no way that the guys I came in with, Brad, Buddy. Charles White, Paul McDonald are going to play in another Rose Bowl and leave. And I'm not going to play in one with them. So it was I was a madman. I mean, I was married. I got married my sophomore year. My wife and I now still laugh about it. I would go to class. I would go by and see Jack Ward and rehab lift weights and then go back to our apartment, do homework, man. And that was my routine. Go to the games and say, guys, keep winning. I know we're going to go to another Rose Bowl. I'm going to play with you. And they thought I was nuts. They really thought I was nuts. We won the Pac-10. We're going to our third Rose Bowl. Now I had to convince John Robinson that I was healthy enough to play because there's no way I wanted to come back for grad school. And uh, so I said, so it took me about a half an hour to convince John. He said, if you get the okay from the doctor, you can start practicing. Man, the doctor said, there's no reason why you can't. He said, your left leg is a little stronger now than your right leg. I'd had two on my right, and this was on my left. And I made every practice getting ready for Rose Bowl and uh, started the entire Rose Bowl game. We, hit, we had to drive 80-plus yards to win the game late, beat Ohio State. And uh, and I would, you know, I tell people in all the games I played there, that one game, that Rose Bowl, after missing the entire season, it probably was the best game I played at USC. And, uh, of course, that still not knowing what would happen after that because even though I played that, a lot of the experts said, well, that was a great finish to a football career you know, go do something else because, you know, the NFL is not going to touch you. And I said, well, if they're they're not going to touch me, it's not going to be because I'm not strong enough and ready. And, uh, of course, you know, four months after that game, you know, the Bengals took a chance and drafted me with the third pick in the entire draft and uh, gave me a chance to go to an NFL camp. And that's all I really wanted after I played in that role. Just let me go see if I can compete on that level. Free agent, late round pick, whenever you want it, just sign me and let me go to a camp. And that, that was my whole attitude that whole senior year. My wife my wife thought I was nuts, and I think she still thinks I'm a little nuts, but she would just kind of look at me and shake my head. Hey, Brent, I got home with a full cast. Back then they'd put a full cast. We had a little one-bedroom apartment. And I would turn the burners on, and I would jump rope in our little room in our little kitchen area and just sweat, man, with the cast on my leg. As, as I knew I was going to get the cast off soon, I just wanted to stay in shape. And those are some of the crazy things I would do.
1: Wow. And, and uh, yeah, it, it it's amazing with the career you had and and you said it, and I was going to say that to you because some people said, yeah, we're taking a chance on this Munoz kid. Well, that's a a, a bigger than big chance. I think somebody had some Intel saying them they were right to be the third overall pick. If you wouldn't have got hurt that year, you might've been one, one. Um, but it, it's interesting that, that, you're going into the draft. Now explain this to me. You're going into the draft. You, you said you had people telling you now go ahead and, and go get a job and go into life. You're not going to play in the NFL, right? What are you hearing up into that draft and, and what happens on draft day? Cause sometimes, you know, the guys that aren't sure, like, am I going to get drafted? I'm not going to get drafted. They might get drafted the seventh, eighth round. You're going third, right. o- third overall. So you had to have some, some people telling, you no, Anthony, there's a good chance. You're going to be a high, high pick.
3: Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited
2: by state law. Well, you know, before my senior year, they projected me top five. After I got hurt, like I said, it was like free agent, maybe a late round, maybe just I, probably nothing. So after the Rose Bowl, my whole purpose was just to we had like five or six different combines. You know, they have the one now in Indy. We had one like in L.A., Philly, Dallas, New York. Uh, we had like four or five, and I went to everyone, and I was always the last guy out of the medical examination. All the guys would leave, and they'd be on the town, and I'd be there having to, you know, get checked and rechecked, and and that's how it went. And I didn't really hear a whole lot. I mean, I I, I could tell a lot by looks that the thing, you know, doctors weren't real, real crazy about what they saw. But Brett, the one thing that happened, I got a call. The Cincinnati Bengals who had the third pick. The only team that did this, you know, other than all the the stuff you did at the Combines, they had just hired a new head coach. And he said, I want to come out and work you out. And I'm like, what time are you coming out? How long? It doesn't matter. Come on. Forrest Gregg, they just hired as their new head coach. Of course, I knew, having had some football history, I knew that Forrest Gregg was a Hall of Fame tackle, played for Vince Lombardi. Vince Lombardi called him the greatest player he ever coached. He was flying out to work me out. And I'm thinking, this is my chance. And I'd already flown to Cincinnati. They double-checked me, you know, again. So Forrest came out, put me through about a two-hour workout on our practice field right there at SC. And uh, I said, this is my chance to really show him that I, these injuries have not affected me. And, again, he worked me out. And I got to share this story. And Forrest was, like, 40 years old, maybe not quite 40 years old, still very imposing, 6'5", 250, and he came out, and after about two hours of workout, he said, okay, I'm going to be the defensive lineman. I'm going to make a couple moves. You just react. Well, in college, we had already started using our hands and punching defensive linemen and you know, pretty much hand and arm combat. Well, he faked outside, forced, and came inside. He tried to swap my arm, my shoulder, and when he did that, he exposed his chest. I gave him a two-hand punch right in the chest, and this is no exaggeration. The first thing that hit the ground was the back of his head. I mean, he hit the ground and my heart dropped and I reached over. I said, I am really, really sorry. I, I mean, and he looked at me and with his Southern draw. He goes, <laughs> that's okay, son. Don't worry about it. And I'm thinking that might've helped. <laughs> that might've helped. <laughs> you heard him, <laughs> but, but it might've helped you. Of course, you. of course the draft day, not again, not knowing what was going to happen. It started 10 o'clock New York time, seven o'clock out in LA. It was funny because that was the first year ESPN covered it, but they didn't, fly anybody to New York. They didn't have all the videos. They just had like Chris Berman, all these guys, all these young reporters covering the draft. And uh, I'll never forget, Dee, Dee and I were in our one-bedroom apartment right across the street from the campus, and there was like two or three other guys there that were waiting to see if they were going to be drafted. And they pretty much knew they were going to be drafted. Uh, in fact, one of them was Brad Buddy, offensive lineman, who went number 11. He was the 11th pick in the first to Kansas City. But our phone rang right away, and I'm thinking, is that a relative scene if something's happened? And I was ready to say, hey, don't call. You know, I might get a call. And I pick up the phone minutes after the draft started, and the lady says, this is Bengal's secretary. Can you hold for Coach Jim McNally? And I said, yeah. I mean, I was just stunned. I put the phone against my chest, and I looked at my wife, and I said, it's Cincinnati. Well, I would met Jim McNally when I went back in January. He was their new offensive line coach. And he jumped on the phone. He goes, Anthony, he goes, You're our guy. We just drafted you. And that was the extent. I hung up the phone. I looked at my wife and I started weeping. I mean, Brett, I mean, I'm six foot six, three hundred-pound kid, whip weeping. I, mean, I was just I was still twenty-one. And uh, after I kind of, you know, composed myself, I said, Didi, we're going to Cincinnati. And she looks at me, and she goes, Where's Cincinnati? <laughs> <laughs> So that, that was draft day. And of course, right away, they flew me out and had the media day and I'm like, okay, I got my chance to go to camp. Now it's time to, now it's time to to show them that, uh, you know, they made the right choice.
1: 1980, right out of the shoot. You're, you're on the all rookie team. You play all 16 games and then your, your string of all pros and pro bowl starts in 81. uh, And there won't be a year to the, to the day you retire that you're not a, an all pro or make it to that pro bowl. Um, pretty unbelievable career. How was that, uh, you talk about, can you play at the next level? You know, I hear all the time. Oh, he could, he's going to play on Sundays. There is definitely a jump. Obviously there's a oh jump in, in all sports, so, you know, for baseball, people always ask me, you know, the, the jump to double A as well. Okay. The double A. Yeah. You find out if, if guys can play there, but the real jump is the big leagues. You go from triple A to the big leagues. Everybody, you know, that guy in triple A that everybody says, Hey, that shortstop, he's really good. Well, in the big leagues, they're all that shortstop. So the speed thing, uh, is what I noticed from, from A to, to big leagues. Guys are sharper. They're just more, you know, they're just more polished, but the speed thing is a big factor. I'm sure it's the same way in the NFL, but you were, you know, they always talk about that jump from, from big time, college football to the NFL. doesn't seem like you had too tough of a time with it being on that all rookie team uh, your
2: first year. Was there a little bit of an adjustment even for Anthony Munoz? Oh, definitely, and, and I'm and I'm thankful because I had a coach at USC that was amazing. I mean, technically, he was teaching stuff like I said on the edge, cutting edge of hands, and I mean, we worked pass pro every day, run block every day, so that really prepared me for the NFL. And I had an amazing coach in the NFL, but still, it was like welcome to the NFL. I mean, it was like you know, at USC, you might have three guys during the you know during your eleven game schedule that are like of the, you know, top of the, the echelon, you know, but here every Sunday, man, the guy is like the best of the best. I mean, there's, you know, they're the best in the world and speed, strength. I come into the league at 21, I'm playing against guys that are 29, 30. So they got a little bit of experience, um, you know, so yeah, it was a jump. There's no question about it. Uh, you know, for me, it was not only a mental jump, but, and, you know, getting adjusted to the, the talent. But now you're looking at – I think I played 27 out of 50 games in college. I mean, I went through – the great thing for me in college, even though I didn't play a lot during the season, is I went through every spring practice, all of summer camp. But my rookie year, I earned the starting job three days into camp. We had four preseason games, and it's not like it is now. We played like half, three quarters of a preseason game. So you're talking four preseason games and then 20 regular – so I played – Almost as many games my rookie year as I did in four years at USC. And then my second year, 20 games again, and then we go to the Super Bowl. So I played 43 games in two years, and I played like 26 in four years. So not only the adjustment to the talent, but now your, your season is amazing. I mean, they talked about hitting a wall like week 12, 13, but you just got to fight through it. Yeah, I mean, you're in great shape, but you hit that wall physically, man, because you're – Monday morning after every game, it feels like you've gotten in an accident. You know, you've got to reevaluate yeah. re- where you're hurting and jump in a tub and do this and do that. But, yeah, I mean, my my first – and here it is. My first five weeks in the NFL, I faced Leroy Selman twice. Preseason game and opening up my rookie of the regular season, I faced Leroy Selman who was – I mean, he's a Hall of Famer, one of the best guys I've ever played against. And it was like, welcome to the NFL. But you know what? I have to – we keep – we talked a lot about USC. USC, man, was a, an amazing training ground for myself, and I'm sure t- you talked to a lot of guys that have been there. The comp, you know, how you compete there, how you prepare there. I mean, my rookie year, every day, I had to practice against Gary Jeter. He was going into – he was a senior. I was a freshman, two-time All-American. He was the number five pick in the draft my freshman year in college. I had to practice against them every day. Guys like Rod Martin, Dave Lewis, Clay Matthews, uh, you know, junior. I mean, so you're doing that all week. Game day is not easy, but it's easier. So that helped me, in the not that it made the NFL easy, but it prepared me. It got me ready to to learn how to compete. And, uh, and then, of course, the fact that, you know, there was a lot of naysayers saying that I couldn't stay healthy, that was an incentive. And, and you know, my conditioning and weight training – You just, I just learned to step it up, man, and do it year round. And, uh, and I'm thankful for that. So that rookie year was a learning curve, but uh, I said, I, that was when I said, I can compete on this level and I can compete with the best. And therefore you build that confidence and then through your straight training and conditioning, that adds even more confidence. You get you know, you throw a great coach into there, some great players. And uh, you know, it, uh, it, it allowed me to really excel at the highest level.
1: Early in, in your career, Kenny Anderson's your quarterback. Uh, the next year, your, your offensive lineman of the year, you play in 16 games again. You say, then you go to the Super Bowl. Super Bowl 16, I believe it was. against it's the Niners. Yeah. Niners in Montana. Yeah. And. You know, that's that's kind of the, the pinnacle, obviously, NBA Finals, World Series, Super Bowl. And nowadays, especially if you put them all together, that's Super Bowl. And now it's two weeks, um, the biggest two weeks, probably in sports, the build up to that big game. Um, first Super Bowl for you. You've won the Rose Bowl several times uh, now. You're at the you're the, you're at the biggest show in town. Give me that that first Super Bowl when you're going to the Super Bowl. I remember my World Series; it was unbelievable. Give me your version.
2: Well, I mean, you know, I got to Cincinnati after that. You know, the, the three Rose Bowls, national championships. I mean, we finished second twice. You know, in football, we we were a tie and a win a win from winning three national championships at USC. So my rookie year, we went six and ten with the Bengals. I'm thinking, man, this is we can't do this. This is, I haven't had ten wins, and you know. You know, my four years of college and maybe my whole high school career hadn't had that many, but I could see the team getting better. And, you know, Kenny Anderson was, you know, in his 11th, 12th year, we forced Greg, man, really came in with a great plan. And you could just see we went six and 10, but I think we lost about three or four games late in the game. So, you know, going into that that second year, you know, we, we didn't start out great. But going to the Super Bowl, you know, we we're five and three halfway through the season, playing pretty well. But then the month of November, we went five and zero, oh. So we went from five and three to ten and three. And we were beating teams. It, the games were over like in the third quarter, uh, getting the playoffs in the Super Bowl. And it was like, now this is what I'm doing. This, this is going to happen every year, I'm thinking, you know, because we had some talent. And of course, it didn't. But, uh, yeah, you're playing in the biggest game. Everybody else is home. You're, this is your goal, man. You go through camp, your weight, you know, weight training, and run the off season, the four or five weeks of you know summer camp, the preseason games, the long, and that's what you're. That's what you're working towards. And to, to in my second year in the league to be playing in Super Bowl 16 was amazing. I mean, you know, that whole week before you go to the the game site, the media embarks on your city. So one week they're in Cincinnati, then we go to it was in Pontiac for a week and. Um, you know, the only crazy thing about it is, I wish there wouldn't have been a, a number sixteen on the, the 49ers as it was Super Bowl sixteen. They had a number sixteen that was quarterback that uh, was our greatest sin. So, but no, it was um, it was amazing. We had great players. You mentioned Kenny Anderson, MVP that year. You know, he he was just had a phenomenal year. And the, and the thing about Kenny Anderson is that he was almost he was benched the opening game, and he was almost not started the second game of the season, but. Forrest Greg decided to start in the second game of the season after being benched and booed the opening game at home, and he goes on to be NFL MVP. We go to the Super Bowl and fall short, uh, but yeah, it was one of those things. Like now you're thinking, and here's my whole you know, uh, thought process: is we have the talent to go back to next year, and it didn't happen for another eight nine years. But I tell you what, that's um, I was thankful that we had a chance to play in 16 and 23, and you know, those are great memories because we just had our 40th uh, reunion last year to, uh, at Bengal Stadium with the guys I hadn't seen in 30 years, 35 years that we played together in that Super Bowl. So there's a lot of great memories from that game.
1: You mentioned you go back in, in Super Bowl 23. I think it's Montana again. Now you got you got <laughs> Boomer Asayuson at the helm for for your side. But I had I remember one of the first shows we did. I had Andre Reed on. And, you know, it's always that uncomfortable question because that Bills, that great Bills run that they had, you know, there's always an asterisk next to it saying, you know, yeah, they went to four Super Bowls and they lost all four. Yeah. The more I thought about it, I thought, you know, it sucks that you didn't win one. But the fact that you got the opportunity to go to four, some guys, some some of the greatest players in, in the NFL and the NBA and in, in Major League Baseball never even get to go to one. Uh, the fact that they got to four, he, he had me convinced by the end of it. Like, you know, I'd rather I'm proud to say that I went four times. Yeah, I wish we would have won one of them, but we didn't. You're going you've already been through Super Bowl 16. You're headed to Super Bowl 23. Same number 16 on the other side. Are you thinking? All right. Are you thinking? All right. What are we going to do different? This Super Bowl to come out champion. You end up losing it. But it's yeah. your second second one. Any difference in the two?
2: You know what? Both stung and still sting. Uh, I thought, you know, in my humble opinion, a lot of people, I I really thought other than number 16, I thought we had, you know, as much talent or more talent than, you know, the 49ers both games. And I felt confident both times and really in 23, I mean, we had a heck of an offense. Uh, I think we were led the, the league in rushing and scoring. And I mean, our defense was pretty good. Yeah, they had Montana and they had, you know, Roger Craig and Jerry Rice. I mean, they had some really – some studs. But I felt – we felt very confident. Not overconfident, but we felt if we played our type of game that we had a chance to win. And all but the last three minutes of the game, it was that way. We were down – you know, we were up 16, 13 with about three minutes and they had 92 yards to to go. I mean, our defense had done a a pretty good job of giving up yards but not allowing – I mean, they had 13 points and, you know, three and a half quarters, three and a half more quarters – So you know, I felt pretty good, you know, and then but that last drive, it was kind of like you just sat there and watched, and uh, you know, Montana to whoever he wanted to go to, and at one play, they were like third down and about sixteen, and he hit Rice. Rice actually broke a tackle and got a first down by a yard. I think he got seventeen or eighteen yards, kept the drive going, or else we would have taken over. But we had a couple opportunities and just didn't do it. So, uh, but you're right, you know, going back, uh, there's no no question about it. would have loved to win both of those, maybe one, you know. But uh, the fact that I had a chance to play 13 years and play in two Super Bowls, like you said, there's guys that have Hall of Fame careers, uh, guys that are great players that uh, some of them might not even go to the playoffs, let alone sniff, uh, you know, a Super Bowl. So I'm thankful we had the chance uh, to go. But, uh, yeah, it's still, you know, especially during Super Bowl time, they, they, they have all the highlights. And, uh, you know, is John Taylor going to drop it this time? No, nah, he still catches that last time. <laughs> You know, but uh, no, it, it was a, it was a great run. And I'm thankful that we had a chance to, to go to both. Uh,
1: you get to 91 season, you play 13 games, 92. You play eight games uh, mm-hmm. for the Bengals. All of us at some point, you know, we kind of know the writings on the wall and it's getting closer yep. to the end. Uh, you've have that you, you've had this storybook career to this point. Was there a day or a time where you started thinking about, you know, I'm just about done, or or was that something that kind of crept up on you?
2: No, so so here's what happened. You know, my last year went in I felt great. I mean, I was running and, you know, I'd lost some weight, so I felt really good. But after um, after my second game, we were 2-0 and and we were going to go up to Green Bay and we went up there and I'm still feeling great. My right shoulder's a little banged up. But the thing that happened before that last year, 92, I lived up north of Cincinnati, so I drove down seventy-one every day for practice. And and I told myself earlier, I said, when I drive down seventy-one during the week and I feel like I'm going to work, I think it's time to to retire because I loved everything. I loved you know I loved going in and practicing. I mean, practice to me was my time to get better. I loved weight training. I loved you know my cardio in the offseason during the season. I loved studying tape. It was it was fun to me ninety-eight percent of the time. Uh, so when I, when I said, when it feels like I'm driving, I'm going to work. So before the season, I actually announced my retirement. And, uh, and I think that was kind of the, the cause of only playing half the games my last year is because when I announced I was retiring, I came into the, the head coach and I said, you know, I'm, you know, I'm 35 years old and I mean, I'm an you know, 11-time pro bowler. And I said, you know, is there any way I'll be fine? But, you know, during the week, maybe take a day off, which people do all the time. And then I'll be ready to play. Well, he went that next day, he put me on injured reserve. I mean, and I'm like, what? And what can you do? Uh, so, you know, after four games, he put me on injured reserve. I came, you know, he had to be on, but at that time, they could bring you back and forth. And I said, well, I guess that's his move. So I came back and, uh, you know, I never forget. I came back off injured reserve and I was playing. I was, I'd worked, I mean, I continued to, to bust it. So I was fine playing. And then uh, first time in 13 years, after going through those 3D operations, first time in 13 years, I came back from IR and a defensive back, fell on my leg, so I'm back on injury reserve. And there's about, oh, I don't know, there's about seven weeks left in the season, so I'm just kind of working out like I did all the time. I mean, I'm working out like I'm playing, but I'm on injury reserve. And they had one move left. Uh, there was one game left, and I was retiring, so I convinced them to let me come Back for one game and play, and I did. I played the entire game, the last game of the year. I retired, and I was against the Colts. and uh, And I thought that was going to be it, but uh, you know, things changed a little bit after that. But I knew that it was time to for the Bengals. They were making changes, so uh, I played that game, and then I started to interview and, and looked into broadcasting after that last game. <laughs>
1: I had uh, it was funny. I had Walter Jones on the show and, and he was telling me he, he was talking about his training. He's like, Brett, I used to just push these Suburbans around. He goes, <laughs> you know, it's better. He said that sled, it hurt my back. And I re- <laughs> so I really started pushing the Suburbans around. But I asked him this, this question. I want to ask you, how do we judge offensive line? Wow. Oh.
2: That's a great question. I mean, that's a tough one. Uh, There's a lot of fodder out there for, you know, opinions and argument. Who's this? Who's that? Um, You know, you talk – I think a lot of it you talk to their opponents, but then you have guys that have played in different eras. You have, you know, general managers that have watched over the years. Those are guys that know the game. Um, You know, those are the guys that have watched in different eras. Um, You know, there's guys that have made, you know – 10-plus Pro Bowls, that they, and then there's other guys that have made four or five that are considered, you know. So it's tough with the Pro Bowls. Uh, so that's probably one of the toughest positions, you know, to really to look at and, and to evaluate because of that. And, um, you know, wide receiver's out there on his own, and he's catching the ball, the quarterback. But as offensive lineman, I mean, you can do your individual job, but then, you know, a lot of it you have to coordinate with four other guys and then sometimes also a tight end. So uh, it, it makes it tough. So that's what that's why you kind of look to the experts and, you know, they kind of that's their thing. Let them, you know, get into arguments, let them uh, you know, say who is and who isn't, who's the best. How do you rank guys? But it is it's, it's probably the toughest position to do that.
1: Uh, and in your position, you know, I was thinking about it. it's like th- there's just no glory. You know, it seems like the 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 spotlights on you if a quarterback gets sacked, anything <laughs> other than that. You're just doing your job, you know, every, right. when you're opening those holes up for those backs and they're scoring touchdowns. That's great. But th- but the backs getting all the glory and right. you, you guys are just all right. Get back in the huddle. Let's do it again. Uh, you know, I was talking to an offensive line coach and and we were talking about, you know, because I'm kind of I'm that geeky baseball guy that doesn't know anything <laughs> about football. But I but I'm a fan of it. So I like to uh-huh. I like to be educated on it. He said, Booney man, I got the best job in the world. He said, these offensive linemen, they come, they work hard. They don't, there's no drama with them. They're just there to, you know, they come and they work. And I thought, yeah, mm-hmm. you know, it makes a lot of sense. You mm-hmm. don't have these star, you know, doing commercials. It's just, hey, we come to work, we bring our lunch pail and 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 we shove the other guys out of the way. I thought that was cool. <laughs> yeah. um, but now I got to, I, I just got like some fan questions for you. It's like, yeah. What's your relationship with your quarterback? Is, is he really, does he, I know if I was the quarterback and these guys were fighting the way you guys fight for me and I'm having a big year, I'm taking my guys to dinner. I'm getting them whatever. I'm getting them gifts. Does that ever happen for you guys?
2: Well, you know, Kenny Anderson was at the, towards the end of his career. So we didn't spend a lot of time together, but Boomer, a lot of years, I mean, 19 years, we went to dinner every Thursday night. I mean, you've been in Cincinnati. We used to go to the boathouse. He would take right. us every Thursday night uh, and just hang out. He would, um, he always, Christmas was always fun for us because he always uh, got his Christmas gifts. And, and it wasn't like he just got, like, listen, you he had to be a veteran lineman. So sometimes it might be four, sometimes it might be seven. And he just didn't get you some. He always, like one year there was eight guys that he was going to buy gifts for. He knew four of the guys were hunters. So he got four guys hunting shotguns he knew that the four of us weren't hunters. So he got us, I think it was when the cell phones came out. So he got us a cell phone and, and, you know, the new, the plan and stuff. So we're, we're walking around with cell phones and, you know, so yeah, he took care of us. I mean, he was a guy that, you know, always had our back. I mean, always, it, it might've been my fault or Max's fault, but he always, he always took the fall, man. He never threw us under the bus. And, uh, but you know, that's, that's just, and he would, so what we did, we'd have our individual uh, position meetings and you would meet for a certain time. Then the coaches would have to leave and meet. And we'd either finish up or we'd go showers. Boomer would always come in, close the door, and he would sit at the offensive line's desk and he would run the video. So you'd have all the linemen, Boomer, and we, it'd just be the you know, the linemen and Boomer. And he'd run the, the tape that we'd been watching. And he's making play calls. He's making calls. And we'd make our blocking calls. So that was his way of. Con- he knew as the leader of the offense, the leader of the team, that he connected with, and that's how he connected with us, man. He knew how to connect, and uh, I mean, just a just a great team player with passion and compassion. And uh, but yeah, it was it was fun. That was uh, for us. It was you know, I was ten years with nine years with Boomer, and uh, that was the type of guy he was. It was uh, he was cool. I mean, it was he was a competitor. We had we had have to grab him sometimes and say Boomer. We'll take care of those defensive linemen. You go call the play and make sure you either hand the ball off or throw it. We don't want two with But that's just the fire he had. He wanted to go up face-to-face with defensive linemen.
1: Uh, how much trash talking is going on? And I want to know what goes on at the bottom of that pile with all those you giants uh, during a fumble. I've heard, you know, nowadays with with the the media, the way it is, and everything is brought into your living room. You know, we get the the the, the oh, so and so's mic'd up. It might be a quarterback for a little portion, or or a wide receiver, or if there's a Deion Sanders type player. You know, they're going to have that. But I never hear the lineman mic'd up i want to know what kind of trash talkings going on and, and take me in the bottom of a fumble when so, so stuff the cameras all, we can't see
2: yeah, yeah exactly so first of all trash talking i was not a trash talking. i didn't like it and i got guys ticked off because i wouldn't i wouldn't get involved in their little game and so i just kind of smile at them, wink at them, and then try to put them on their back the next play. So they knew that – and they would go up and – if they were really a – and they had the trash talk, and talk, they would go to other linemen to see if they would engage. But the guys over the years knew that I didn't. You know, I was uh, – there was times where I'd kind of lose a little bit, but for the most part uh, – and there's guys that just didn't I mean, they had to be trash talking all the time. And, uh, you know, you just kind of look at them and just, okay, I guess that's what you need to do. Bottom of the pile, man, you <laughs> – you wanted to get out of that pile as quickly as you could because, uh, you know, they, they were joking at times and times too, they were trying to grab stuff that, you know, they just put it this way. There was, there was one guy that tried to use my chest to get off the ground, put his elbow right in the middle of my chest. As he started to push, I did a lot of uh, martial arts, Okinawan uh, – uh, showroom in Okinawa in karate. So I knew how to deliver a blow without del- you know, winding up. And that was the last time he did it because I <laughs> head slapped him so hard. Uh, and I said, you don't use, you know, we're in the bottom of the pile. And I said, not this nicely, but you don't use my chest to get off the ground or what just happened is going to be, you know, a hundred times worse than that. But wow. I got, I mean, you know, I kind of channeled Deacon Jones in the head slap down in the bottom of the pile and, uh, but you know, sometimes they're serious sometimes they're messing around, but you're down there. You don't want to, you want to get out. You want to get out of the, under that pile because you know, you get six, seven, you know, 300 plus guys that doesn't feel very good if you're in the bottom of the pile and the guys take their time getting up and you know, if they know you they're on the top. And, uh, so you got to exert a little energy to, to help them get up. So not a fun place to be.
1: As a baseball player, you know, the, the game's every day and it's, it's hard and you have great days, you have tough days, you, you lose some games, you win some. Sometimes you have a rough day, sometimes you win the game for your team. I remember for me, uh, as a player, the stuff that really bothered me, if my pitcher's pitching his butt off, doing a good job, I make a big error. And I was fortunate enough, it didn't happen too often. But once in a while, I'll make that big play that changes the game late in the game. I I. You know, we're all out there busting it. We're doing the best job we can. I might hit a three-run homer the next time that guy's pitching and win the game for him. But in that moment, man, did I feel bad. And I, and I would, you know, the pitchers, the nine out of ten pitchers would come to me and say, Booney, listen, you pick me up a lot of times. I'm going to pick you up here. That's the kind of relationship. But it doesn't matter. We're still human right. beings and we feel bad. Big play. Everybody's going crazy. Crowds going crazy. Fans at home are going crazy. Holding, bring it all the way back. Is <laughs> that it, yeah. is that a fair, accurate, uh, oh, parallel between what I've what I explained to you? I went through <laughs> when you go
2: through it. Yeah, oh, definitely. I mean, it's you know, there's I guess a, you, everybody's got to do it, but a couple positions: left tackle, cornerback. You've got to have a short memory. If you don't have a short memory, man, it'll eat you alive, and it'll just continue holding and you just got i mean you just got to forget about it i mean you just got to get in the huddle and and just forget about it man a sack that's the toughest i mean there was years where i had one sack all year and i i could re i could replay that sack and know exactly when it happened and it might be 6 months later so i mean and, and it's just it did eat you alive i mean it eats you alive and uh, yeah but you you've got to be and you're right the next game i mean you won't do that. And you, I mean, but yeah, you just gotta, it's one of those things you learn right away that you've got to just, I I think about remember men in black when they had that little gadget and they poop and your whole memory was gone. Yeah. That's what you have to, literally you have to do that. I mean, you know, bad play holding and, uh, and there's always, you know, kind of a, a silver lining. So my rookie year, I got three holding penalties in one game. And I mean, you talk about just feeling like jumping in the river. You know, it's like, so then the next day, Monday night football, I'm watching the Steelers and they have a pretty good center, Mike Webster, who's all pro perennial hall of famer. He got, not that it justified my three, but he got four holding penalties on a Monday night game. And I'm thinking if, if I'm a rookie getting three and this guy, I said, it happens, it happens to everybody, you know? So you just got to bounce back and, and, you know, make sure that you, like you said, it happens, but, Keep it to a minimum, you know,
1: keep it to a minimum. Turf in Cincinnati, you you talk about the injuries to your knees. I remember as a young kid walking, you know, we both played at the same field down there at Riverfront. Yeah. And I remember as a, as a young kid, you know, I'm 23, 24 years old and Larkin, you know, my partner, my, my partner, my double play combo guy, (laughs) he'd be walking through the locker room. He was probably four or five years, my senior. And he'd be walking through the, the locker room after the game. He's got ice from shoulders to knees. And I'm looking at him. I'm like, are you that old, man? You know, he's probably, <laughs> he's probably 29 at the time. Right. He looks at me, he goes, ah, kid, he goes, you'll see one day you play on this turf long enough. Yeah. And at the time, I turf doesn't bother a 23-year-old. You're doing backflips on it. It's no big deal. Now, yeah. as time went on, I I knew exactly what he was feeling. As a football player, though, landing on that constantly getting you know, you got some big boys out there and yeah. turf hard. It's amazing. Isn't it amazing that you had most of your injuries pre uh pre Riverfront Stadium?
2: Yeah, it is. That was I tell you, and that wasn't the only one because you um, you played in the three rivers. You played in yep. the vet. You yep. played in the Astrodome. I mean, it was like uh you played in the kingdom, right? I, mean, I played in the
1: kingdom, the all time <laughs> worst. Oh was Mon- was Montreal Exhibition Stadium. It's like they never they they laid the first turf down and they never they never serviced it. It was just like a glorified cement.
2: Oh, it's crazy. So yeah, so I I I'm really thankful that I played, you know, not only all home games on that stuff but, you know, teams in our division. I mean, Houston and Pittsburgh at the time were, you know, I had to play on that every year and it's so yeah, I'm really thankful that uh, you know, other than getting in the shower and feel like somebody taking sandpaper to your arms and your legs because of, you know, that turf ripping skin off and just kind of like you have been <laughs> rubbed raw. But, uh, yeah, I, I was very fortunate that my body, I mean, I, you know, I retired when I was 35 and I, I could say that my legs still felt pretty decent even after all those years on that stuff.
1: 1994, uh, you get selected to the 75th anniversary all-time team. In uh, 2021, Ring of Honor for the Bengals, which is probably, you know, I, 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 if it's anything like baseball, of course, the Hall of Fame is the ultimate. And, and I want to cover that last. In 2010, uh, 100 Greatest Players. You get a red jacket for that one. Um, but then the ultimate. It's 1998. It's, uh, you know, you're Anthony Munoz. You you can look at your stats. They speak for themselves. It's pretty much uh, known that you're going to go to the Hall of Fame. But is it any different waiting for that phone call? Just like, yep, I know, you know, my credentials are there. It's obvious. Uh, Everybody tells me right away, first ballot, I'm going in. But until you get that phone call, even guys like Anthony Munoz, I, I had Chipper Jones on the show and I asked about that. I said, Chipper, you knew you were going in. Greg Maddox. He goes, yeah, Brett, I knew I was going in, but I'll tell you, I had to wait for that phone call. Was yeah. it the same for you? Are you waiting for that call, phone call? Like, yeah, honey, I know I'm getting it, well, but, but yeah. let's just make sure the phone rings or I get that call.
2: You know, you, you never know. I mean, it's like they're talking about it, but, you know, you go through that process and you hear I mean, you hear that you never know if it's going to be you know, when or what. But, yeah, it was still the anticipation it's, uh, until you get that call. I mean, people are like, "Ah, oh, you're in. No problem. You know, sign your name. with, And he said, no, that you don't do that until you. So, yeah, it was the matter, which was pretty cool for me because growing up in Southern California, playing football at USC, then you're always told the day before the Super Bowl. And the Super Bowl was in San Diego. So it was back in California where I actually got the word that I was going in. But, yeah, you still, it's a matter of waiting for the call. You just got to wait for the call because you never know. You never know how long it's going to take after you retire, if it's going to you know happen. So, yeah, you just never know. And you, you learn the longer you're in, then you see all the guys that are like, okay, they're the shoe in, they're splitting in there, they wait, you know, 15, 20 years. And so it's, um, you wait until you get that call. But once you get that call, man, it's just like, it's crazy. The, um, you know, it's the the memories, the journey, basically. I mean, you get the call that you've, you've accomplished that, but then now the flood of memories, the journey that it's taking, I mean, coming from, you know, single parent home, having nothing growing up, my mom working two, three jobs to going to USC and then the injuries. And, you know, my wife and I being there, you know, seniors in college not knowing what's going to happen. And then the NFL, and you know, just the relationship. So it's just a flood of memories that once you do get that now, now you got what, seven months to put a speech together, make sure you don't forget thanking anyone and, but it was just so much fun when that happened to be able to to call my wife and the, you know, my family. and But, yeah, you're right. You never know until you that phone rings and they say, welcome to Canton.
1: And I mentioned the 2010, uh, the 100 greatest players. Uh, you were selected for that group. There's a red jacket for that one. The Hall of Fame is a gold jacket. Difference between the two is one more, more – uh, special to you? Or are they both just well, really cool? I look at the 100 as a, as a baseball player. I look, wow, Hall of yeah. Fame. There's more players in the Hall of Fame than 100. 100 greatest players? <laughs> Seems to me that. that's a bigger honor.
2: Well, you know, it's, it's interesting because there's 382 Hall of Famers, and that happened in 1998. So it was, it was actually two years ago that the, the 100th anniversary with the Red Jacket 2020 was the year. And so that's 100... All time of all hundred years. So I think I think Brett Favre said it best. We they had us all down in Miami at the Super Bowl and we were in the same hotel and they had this QA kind of round table. And they asked Brett Favre the same question. And he said, Wow. He said, I guess the hundred players is like being a hall of famer of the Hall of Fame. <laughs> you know, that, it, that was, it, it is. It kind, kind of makes know, sense. Like, yeah, but it's to me, I still pinch myself. The fact that I played 13 years of Eleven. That I and then the fact that I'm in the Hall of Fame, seventy fifth anniversary, and now you know Hall of Famer plus the top hundred players of all time. I mean, I'm looking, you know, the guys. And I'm thinking, holy smokes, these are guys I watched, you know, when I was growing up, guys I played against, guys I watched after I retired, and they're saying that I'm one of the top hundred. Yeah, it's just it just blows me away to even think that. But yeah, I think Brett Favre kind of said it uh, best. He said this is kind of like being a hall of famer of the hall of fame. It's so, a hall of hall of fame plus, Yeah. yeah <laughs> so, but I'm just, it's just crazy. I mean, it's just crazy that my name is part. I got a gold jacket. I got a red jacket. I mean, you know, Bengals ring of honor last year. Now I got a Brown with go orange in it. Jacket. So I'm like, you hey what, this is good. This, uh, you know, Good way to get some sport coats.
1: (laughs) I I know. I know. And and how much that city means to you, Cincinnati, Uh, even though you'd already been through these hundred greatest players, you know, red jacket, gold jacket. I know that that was special to you because how special that city is to you. Uh, 2021, that ring of honor. Uh, I I don't know. It it just seems to me like you'd hold that near and dear.
2: Uh, There's no question about it, Brett. I mean, the fact that I played my whole career there, we, we stayed there. That's home now. Uh, but, you know, more importantly than, you know, is that now we get to celebrate all the great players that played for that organization. Uh, I mean, you know, the, the 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 shame part of it, it's a shame that there's only one Pro Football Hall of Famer that played for the Bengals right now. I mean, you look at Kenny Anderson, Kenny Riley, and Isaac Curtis, and, I mean, Lamar Parrish. And you, you've got guys that I played with, played before me, and then hopefully – but the Ring of Honor really kind of – it really – shows the guys I mean I went in with Kenny Anderson and Kenny Riley of course Paul Brown who if I tell people if you're not a football historian you have to study Paul Brown and what he brought to the game and this year you know we got two more that just got voted in we'll celebrate uh you know Willie Anderson and Isaac Curtis and it just you know in last year sure we had the inaugural uh, class of the ring of honor, the four guys, but a lot of people don't realize we had 40 guys that played in Super Bowl 16 that were there last year because it was the 40th anniversary. And we had this big dinner and QA and got to hang out with guys I hadn't seen in 30 plus years that I played against or played with in the Super Bowl. So to me it's a celebration not only of the city, the organization, but the guys that played for the organization throughout the entire existence of this uh franchise.
1: After 92, 92 is the year that you retired after that season. Um, went into broadcasting. How'd you like that? The, that I liked, it, life a lot. After I liked football. it a lot.
2: Yeah, I really liked it a lot. So what I did, you know, I tried to do some things while I was playing to just kind of prepare myself. And I mean, we I went to real estate school and we started a building company halfway through my career. And But my last seven years playing with the Bengals, I did high school football on radio. And you know how great That's football is. That's interesting. You know how good football is, right there in Cincinnati, Northern Kentucky. Yeah. So I had a guy ask me. I said, "I'll do that." So Friday night, man, I was doing high school football radio. We're doing playoffs. I'm doing Molar and Elder, and I'm doing St. X. I'm going across the river and doing Cubcast and Boone County, and you know. So I did that just to kind of because I enjoyed it. So when I retired, I'm like, "Hmm, it's either coaching or maybe I'll just check out broadcasting and." I got an opportunity to do a couple games and then Fox got the NFL and they hired me. So, but I enjoyed it because it gave me a chance to continue to stay close to the game, watch the game, go to a game and then just talk about it and get paid for it. You know? So it was like, this is pretty cool. And, uh, you know, I left when my kids went off to college so I could watch them play sports, but I continued to do Bengal preseason games. And I think this is like maybe year 25, 26 that I've been doing Bengal preseason games on TV so I really enjoyed it. I worked with DSPN. I worked with Fox, uh, did some, you know, guest stuff, other places, but, uh, yeah, I really, really enjoyed it.
1: All the things you've accomplished. What are you most proud of in your life?
2: Oh, wow. Yeah. You know, for me, you know, football is great. Sports is great. But, uh, you know, for me, the last 44 years, my faith and my wife, you know, we we just celebrate 44 years, kids, grandkids, uh, those are the things that are going to last forever. I mean, great memories last forever. And, but, you know, those relationships and then the relationships I, you know, from college and pro that, uh, you know, we might not see each other for three, four years, and when we see each other, it's like we haven't missed uh, a beat. So, you know, the memories of the the, the relationships. Uh, and people ask me, what's the first thing you miss when you retire? And it's the relationships, being with the guys all the time and, you know, just going through the grind and, and you know, the respect. But, uh, yeah, my faith and my, my wife, my kids, grandkids, and, of course, in the memories of all the relationships that I've established in, in the sport.
1: Well, Anthony Munoz, I appreciate it. What a career! What a guy you are—a a, a, guy—and and I say this in all seriousness. As a young baseball player, made an impression on me uh, when I got to meet you on on occasion in in Cincinnati. Uh, it, it always made a positive impact. Like, wow, there's something about that Anthony Munoz guy I really like. So, I think that's just a, a testament to you and and how you've lived your life uh, with the with the accolades on the field set aside. So, I just want to say it's been an Honor having you on the Boone Podcast. Twenty four hundred sports is an odyssey company.